welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 verse 36 through 50 and the last time the message was titled struggling with God's will struggling with God's will I have to say that 20 years of teaching I I do have some favorites definitely I would put this on one of the top 10 Um, you know you see John the Baptist who is this incredible historical figure he's mighty he's powerful he's you know, convincing uh, he's a prophet of God, but he has this huge crisis of faith in his life. And everybody now sees it and could be talking about it, but as soon as Jesus sends John's disciples back to him, he tells everybody what a wonderful person John is. And we did make the connection to our own lives, right? You've been a Christian more than a few days. You're going to have some of these issues. And it was really neat because I was able to bring a historical figure, Harriet Tubman, into the picture. Uh, I started to do a lot of study about her, and it was really powerful what she did. But she also had, at times, a crisis of faith. So if you are struggling at some point, you're in good company, definitely. So definitely get it for free off the website, YouTube, uh, and check it out. Today, the message is titled, Grace to Gratefulness. Grace to Gratefulness. You know, and this we can't confuse this. This is sort of a, a an, an anointing of Jesus, but we also see towards the end of his ministry uh, in John 12, there's an anointing of Jesus. But these two are very different, very different incidents, right? A lot of things happened with people and and their responses to Jesus, and there was some similarities, and you could categorize some of them. But this is kind of neat because chronologically, right, if you actually get yourself a chronological Bible and start reading everything in chronological order, before what we're going to read today, there was a portion of Scripture where Jesus gives sort of a clarion call to salvation. I actually want to read that in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. This is so powerful that when I taught on this, and this isn't a big church, look around, when I taught on this actual Scripture, five people came forward to receive Jesus that didn't know each other. So Jesus' words are, they're more than words on a page. They were incredibly powerful. It's the heart of God that's expressed here. So Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. He says, Come to me, all, not some, not the elites, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A lot of Jesus' ministries, the ministry he did was public. No doubt this woman that we're going to run into, this historical figure, uh, she had heard that. He would, there would be a large, like thousands of people, sometimes hundreds, thousands. Uh, they just flock to hear the word of God. So that's got to be context, right? This woman hears this thing that Jesus says, this clarion call, she comes to see Jesus. He shows her more grace. She has great appreciation for him. And then eventually, 
we see her really receive him, salvation. We're going to talk about what salvation looks like externally, but also internally. Pretty neat stuff. And we're going to look at this in four parts. Four parts. Okay, so jumping in, Luke 7 says, Then one of the Pharisees, now the Pharisees were high echelon religious leaders, asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet, anointed them with this fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him, by the way, his name was Simon, Simon the Pharisee, saw this, he spoke to himself. He didn't say it out loud, saying, this man, meaning Jesus, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So one out of four is a woman anoints Jesus' feet. It's an interesting situation. Jesus accepts this meal from this religious leader. Um, Religious leaders, like anyone in society, weren't a monolith. Many did not like Jesus because Jesus was genuine and they weren't. And they were afraid for their little hegemony over the people. Many did like Jesus because they accepted him as the Messiah. But others were curious. They investigated. And I would put Simon in this category. He does some interesting things, right, as we start to investigate his investigation to see if Jesus is real or not. So this woman appears, sort of humbly, to crash the party, which you really weren't supposed to do, right, especially at a Pharisee's house, because she knew that Jesus was there. Well, we're told that she was a sinner, aren't we all? However, when you read the story, you understand that everybody knew who this was. They saw her downtown, you know, and some people, this speculation, oh, she was a prostitute. People go there right away. She could have been a pickpocket. She could have been a thief. She could have been a revolutionary. She could have been all the above. We don't know. But we know that she had a reputation, and she would never show up at a religious leader's house except for the fact that Jesus was there. Now, why? Because the religious leaders, you know what's funny? I hear people say this today, and I almost feel like i got to buy them a lunch or breakfast or a muffin or a coffee to come to church because they're frightened, right? And i got to be honest with you, when I came to church almost 30 years ago for the first time, Bible-believing church, I pulled into the parking lot, a lot of people there, and I drove right back out. <laughs> this tough cop who kicked in doors and arrested bad guys, I was terrified of actually stepping foot in a church by myself. So back then, it was no different. She knew that she would be judged. But she knew that Jesus would be there and he wouldn't judge her. So she crashes the party, so to speak. Very interesting. What happens? Well, she proceeds to cry, weep, wash his feet with her tears, dry his feet with her hair, kiss his feet, and anoint them with the contents of the flask. Now, people do this. They try to find fault with the Bible. Well, how could she do all that if she was behind him? Well, you have to understand that they, they reclined at the table. It was sort of a reclining. So she comes up in his godness. I'm sure he knew that she was approaching him and who she was. 
But the onlookers were aghast at this situation. This is a social faux pas. You know, this is a problem. So she ends up coming up behind him. And can I tell you something? I think, I don't know this to be fact, I think you, you don't anoint people's feet. You anoint their head. I think that her plan was probably to anoint his head and bless him. But she was so nervous and overcome with the situation that she just stopped at the feet and never went any further. And she's doing this thing and um, she's, she's crying. And, and now we know that we'll find that, that Simon didn't wash his feet, which was a customary thing to do for your guest. So Jesus probably still had dirt on his feet, open-toed sandals from the trip. So there's dirt on his feet with her tears. She's turning it into mud. She's taking her hair and she's wiping his feet and she's probably a hot mess right we would understand that term today she probably doesn't know what she's doing but all she knows is she wants to be in his presence and again she might have thought let me go for the head but maybe she thought this is all i'm worthy of right totally humble total humility in this woman and it had to be incredibly humiliating incredibly humiliating probably if if the religious leader in his mind is disturbed by the fact that he's not shooing this woman away the faces of everybody who was at the table probably the only one who showed grace was jesus everyone else was probably hoping the situation would just conversation stops you ever run into a social situation like that now don't misunderstand where the lord is where God is. It wasn't necessary for her to do this, but this is all she knew how to do. Remember, she's not a theologian. She's somebody who is living a life of crime, hears, or immorality, hears Jesus preach about salvation, and probably says to herself, could that be for me? Could that be for me? Right? I mean, I lived a pretty rough life when I was young, and and I started coming to church, and I saw people at church singing praises music with their hands up and I looked around and I'm thinking I'm going to tell you something it it took a while for me to feel comfortable in the church because I thought these people are so much better than me I don't belong here where's the exit (laughs) you know what I'm saying Um, so this is probably what what she thought it's to me I I find it very powerful but this is again a reflection of her heart now let me just divert for a moment ascetism you've heard the term ascetism is where people do uh, unusual things uh, extreme things to supposedly show a greater devotion to god you see western even quasi-christian monks and eastern monks do strange things they don't eat uh, they don't speak they whip themselves on the back that's called ascetism and it's quite frankly it's bizarre it's not in scripture they should know better however this woman doing what she was doing again this was a ref- she didn't know anything else right so you we got everyone has to cut her some slack including the religious leader um the alabaster flask of fragrant oil and i've touched on this before this isn't something that you could go on amazon and order your alabaster flask with fragrant oil you probably do that today but back then you couldn't do that both and they they were very beautiful this the stone and the stonework and the way they fashioned it and put the oil in it uh, and the way they sealed it it was really saved almost as um you know we, we have bank accounts with numbers 
but they would save things to barter in retirement, in uh, later years if they couldn't work. So this would have been very expensive and you would normally have to break the neck of it and pour out the oil, sort of use it one time. So now the oil is, is all out and the jar is ruined. And whatever it costed, she just lost that, that financial gain. The, the question is, did she purchase it as a result of her sinful lifestyle? We don't know. Was it a family inheritance? We don't know. However, when this happens again by somebody else in John 12, Judas, the traitor, flips out. This could have been used for the poor. What a waste. So let me, let me touch on that. To, to take something extremely expensive and just pour it on somebody's feet and make a mess, it was a seemingly waste that she did by emptying it on Jesus. However, she showed great appreciation for her Lord. What would we give up to show our appreciation for Christ? Today, some in the church don't give their time. They don't pray unless there's an emergency. They don't spend time in the Word. They don't spend time in fellowship. And the question is, are we stingy with God? We have to ask that question. Are we stingy? Right? I'm going to say that everyone but Jesus thought that she was somebody that just should just be discarded. But let me tell you something. She can teach us today, in the 21st century, some valuable lessons in Christianity by her heart and what she did. And Jesus exposes that in a good way. In this account, we don't know her name. It doesn't seem like she said a word. But she had a tremendous spiritual impact on the church for the last 2,000 years. Sometimes some in the church boast about who they are in Christ and what they know. Or, you know, give God the customary, let me put a scripture on social media, which is fine, especially if you're blessing other people. But a relationship with the Lord is more than that. It's actually a relationship. It's an ongoing, daily type of thing. And it's true, the saying, actions speak louder than words, and faith without works is dead. Because we see what she did, and we'll see the response that Jesus had to her. Again, possibly feeling the tension in the room with all eyes glaring on her, but you know what she cared about? Nothing more than what Jesus thought about her. And folks, when we do this today, social media and social interactions are so important that people will, and there's a whole psychological concept to this, to want to be with the crowd and not be ostracized. Social media is very powerful. It's a very powerful tool. If you are pleasing people all the time, you're probably not pleasing God. If you're trying your best to please God, I can assure you, you won't be pleasing some of your friends. It's just the way it works. And I'm not saying to be caustic, to pray about what we say, to pray about how we say things. But are we God-pleasers or people-pleasers? Also important is the, f the fact that many use words to justify and defend themselves. But she said nothing. She didn't say, well, you, can you guys cut me some slack? You know, I, I promise I won't be that. She didn't say a word. She didn't say, well, it was a bad upbringing and I couldn't help myself. She said nothing. She allowed the Lord Jesus to justify her. That's amazing. I've got to be honest with you. As you could tell, I talk a lot. I have two pages of notes here, and they're to keep me from going into an hour or plus. So 
I, can, I know how to talk. I know I have defended myself before. I've justified myself. And then I, I just say to myself at times, the Lord's like, just be quiet. All right, that's going gonna, gonna to be really hard to do. I, you know, I just said to be quiet. Okay, okay. You know, so there are times that I just, just give it to God. Sometimes when we get in our own way, like He wants to do something and we get in our own way. Well, she didn't get in the way. She let the Lord do it for her. And it worked out really well. Verse 40, we'll see this. It says, and Jesus answered. What did he answer? Thoughts. Because nobody said anything. Jesus answered and said to him, the religious leader, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, teacher, say it. Maybe Simon hoped he would have said, can you get your servants and get her out of here? But that's not what Simon got. He said there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, or day's wages, and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. So two out of four is the parable of the two debtors. It seems like an aside. It seems like it comes out of nowhere, but it's part and parcel to everything that was happening that day. So he tells this, I would say, parable or fictitious story, to use an illustration, of a creditor who has two people who owe him money, two debtors. Number one, the first one owes about, we could round it off, about two months' wages. Well, it's worth something, not a whole lot. The other debtor owes almost two years of wages. That's a big deal. There's a stark difference in what these two persons owed the creditor. The creditor forgives both because why? Neither one of them has the ability to pay regardless of the amount. And that debt is a picture of sin that we've all been saddled with being born into the human race. We can't get ourselves out of it. Some of us owe less. Some of us owe more. But it doesn't matter. If you're outside of the kingdom, you could for all eternity talk about what you guys owed, but you're both out. So this is powerful. Whether it's a little or a lot, it puts us in the same hopeless category, eternally lost. And this was lost on the religious leader, sadly enough. See, the self-righteous don't see their sin as a big deal because after all, they didn't what? Kill anyone. (laughs) How many times have you heard that? Oh, I I paid my taxes. I didn't kill anybody. I try to drive the speed limit. That's always difficult in New Jersey. Uh, But (laughs) that's dangerous. However, the person who lived an ungodly life understands John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, anyone, anywhere, right, would believe on Him, would not perish, but have eternal life. And I know many people who grew up in a good home, functional home, church, maybe got saved at an early age, and they're wonderful people. They've got a good foundation. They do great things for the Lord. But there's also a category who maybe had it so good that they become self-righteous. You ever meet somebody like that? They don't see their sin. They look down on other people. And that's the category 
that Simon was in. And he's teaching everyone about God because he's a religious leader. That's the, the thing that I find. I, I find it troubling even today. There's so many teachers out there that are they're just not, there's no grace. There's no love. It's just harsh. And maybe sometimes they're even wrong. And they have some listen to them and just walk away from God because they feel there's no hope for me. But I believe that God gives everyone a chance to find the truth, right, before they die. That's my personal opinion. So the parable illustrated the difference in heart attitudes between the religious leader and the immoral woman. There's another uh, illustration that Jesus uses. Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? So he uses a lot of these images, these metaphors to help people understand, right? The Pharisee and the tax collector, again, was it, was it, did it really happen? Was it uh, strictly a parable? And the Pharisee looks up at God and basically tells God how great he is and, you know, I'm glad I'm not like this guy next to me. And the Pharisee, he, he beats his chest and he looks down and he goes, forgive me, you know, be merciful to me. And Jesus said, you know who was justified? The tax collector. These are hard lessons for self-righteous people. Unfortunately, they're all over the place and um, they need to take these things to heart. Jesus okay, doesn't use plain language. You know what he didn't say to the Pharisee? He didn't say, listen, why don't you cut her some slack? You're being self-righteous. You're a sinner too. Probably would have gone right over the guy's head. He probably would have just said, hey, it was very nice eating with you. Have a nice day. But he used the story and he drew the man in. Now, this happened in 2 Samuel 12, if you remember, with King David and the prophet, right? Prophet um, Nathan. Nathan the prophet. And... So remember, David's the king. He, does, he, he backslides like crazy, and he does awful things. He takes a woman in adultery and kills her husband, and uh, you know he's not thinking clearly, so God tells the prophet, um, expose the king for his sins. <laughs> well, if you say the wrong thing, you could have your head cut off or thrown into the prison. So Nathan uses a story about a very wealthy man who had plenty of flocks, and he was going to have a banquet, and he, he doesn't use any of his flocks. He goes to the poor man who only has this little ewe lamb who he even sleeps with at night. Now, again, this is, it's, a, it's a parable. It's a metaphor. And uh, the rich man doesn't take any of his stuff. He takes the little ewe lamb from the poor man, and, and that's it for the ewe lamb. David hears the story, and he flips out. He's the king. He's on fire about this. I'm going to kill that person. And Nathan says to David, you are that man. And David repents. But David got sucked in. <laughs> but, and it's okay. It's perfectly legit, isn't it? It happens in the Old Testament. It happens in the New Testament. Um, real, real good on Nathan's part. Verse 43 the rich man, I'm sorry, the Pharisee responds to Jesus when Jesus says, who do you think will love him more? Which debtor? I kind of, I have to laugh. He says, I suppose the one whom he forgave more will love him more. I suppose. I wonder if he's realizing that the trap's been set for him. That he's, he's part of the story. We'll continue on. Verse 44. 
he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Why does Jesus say things that seem to be completely redundant? Because the religious leader wasn't seeing this woman with his heart, with the Holy Spirit. He was seeing this woman with his eyes. And in the Greek, when you translate some of these words, see has more of a depth perception than just the ocular. There's a spiritual component to that. Simon, do you see this woman? Of course I see this woman. I saw her Friday night. I see what she does. No, 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 no. Let's continue. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to her, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Three out of four is the lack of gratefulness. Now, whether you were rich or poor, it didn't matter. If you got your servants to do this, great. If you couldn't afford servants, you'd do it yourself. Your guest comes in. It's a, it's a hot climate. There's no asphalt roads. <laughs> so you, you have these sort of open-toed sandals. Some people would walk barefoot if they couldn't afford sandals. And they would come to your house. You invited this person to your house. Middle Eastern people, I've actually learned personally, are very hospitable people even today. Right? They'll, they'll give you anything when you come into their house. So Jesus, so when you would come in, your feet would be dirty. Usually the first thing that would happen is the host would greet the guest and kiss them. Sometimes twice on the cheek, on the forehead, whatever. Hug, kisses. And that was to say, hey, you made it. I love you. Let's sit down and dine. Let's fellowship. Let's become one together. The next thing that would, be, would happen, and it would, could be in different order, was whether it was them or the servant, they would wash that person's feet. And it was a, a dirty job. Your feet sweat. Your feet pick up dirt. When you walk on these roads, sometimes you step on animal dung. Okay, let's get graphic here. But you, <laughs> you're making faces, <laughs> but you would, you would wash those feet. And it, you know, you ever take, take a shower when you've been working outside all day? You're just grimy. You get in the shower, oh my goodness, it feels great. Your feet would have been the dirtiest part of your body. And it just feels good. Almost like a little massage while they're, you know, it's like, ah, oh, my feet are, feel real refreshed right now. And it was a sign of humility. The third thing that they would do is, again, hot climate, very dry. You would come in, maybe a little bit of a, a burn, possibly, from the sun. Your, your, especially your forehead, your face would be very dried out. They would take high-quality oil, and they would, they would anoint you, right? And there's also other uh, symbolisms of anointing. But Jesus entered this house, and the Pharisee did none of these things. But the woman sort of did it, not realizing she was doing it. She showed her appreciation with her tears and her hair. And I could imagine her, like, d d just again, I was just confused. But her heart is in the right place and coming up and her hair is matted. And she probably like, looked like one of those, remember those Cabbage Patch kids with the messy hair and the, the dirty faces, you know? And she just didn't care at that point what she looked like. She just wanted to honor her Lord Jesus. Powerful stuff. So, 
Okay, let me just get into Pastor Joe's conjecture and then we'll move on. What I think doesn't really matter, but I kind of have this idea that, that Simon, he's investigating Jesus, which as a religious leader, somebody says they're a prophet, the Messiah, of course, they should legitimately, but he's, he's also not seeing Jesus with the right eyes, is he? He's not seeing the woman. He's not seeing Jesus. So Jesus comes to the house. If he thought Jesus was the Messiah or a great prophet, he would have done that for his guest. He definitely would have done that for Christ. So I think that Simon was in the category of investigating. Let me have this guy over to my house. Let me see if he's the real deal. And um, he, he ne- neglects to do some things initially. So I don't think he's totally sold on it. However, by the end... Maybe he becomes a follower, we don't know. But I also look at this too, is when we think of sin, again, the self-righteous can get irritated with some of the things that that I'm saying. Simon might have got irritated initially, what Jesus was saying. But we think about sin, don't do certain things. Don't kill, don't steal. And and that's important, right? We should live by those uh, rules or um, precepts. But there's also sins of omission, not doing something. And that's what Simon was guilty of. He was actually guilty of both. He was guilty of judging, but he was also guilty of neglect. And we have to ask the same question of ourselves. You know, do we neglect the things of the Lord? Listen, every culture has different things that they do and don't do. And uh, I would say little traps that, or distractions that keep us from really you know, doing the things that we should do, not committing the sins of omission. I think of America, Western society with all the electronics, right? Sometimes I just have to go out of the house and it's nice where I lived. It's like you just walk down the street, people walk and I just talk to the Lord. I just, and I'll just say to myself, you know, I need a little time with the Lord. So I leave my house and I walk and it's just freeing. You know, the TV's not there. The computer's not there. So I, I don't want to not do things that I should be doing. And I fall short too, I'm just being honest with you. But we do have a little kind of kidding around, little joke at Calvary Chapels, especially our church, is do we spend more time worshiping the S-O-N or do we spend more time worshiping the S-U-N? Hmm. After COVID, it was like, we're free. There's no more lockdowns. And last summer was terrible. And I'm going to make it up. But to what ex- extent? It's just a star that burns and eventually is going to burn itself out. And it's nice and makes things grow, photosynthesis. But is that a distraction in the summertime for Christians? You know, and I got to be honest with you, people sometimes will come to me and go, oh, yeah, I haven't been here in a few weeks. I never judge them. It's not my role. I'm not a judger. My assumption is that when people are not visibly where you think they might be, I think, well, they're probably doing the right thing. They're probably reading the Word with their family. They're probably praying with their family. They're probably having their personal devotion times with the Lord. I always want to think the best of people. But you and I have to, when we go home, look at ourselves in the mirror and say, do I neglect the things of the Lord? It's just, it's a valid, legitimate question. And some people get irritated with that. But that's a sin of omission is when we ignore God for what we think is a better deal. This earth is it's a fallen creation. And, and what God remakes is going to be gorgeous. 
is not going to compare to what we're dealing with today. So the Lord is more important, right? We need to, we need to be close to the Lord. Verse 44, Jesus said to the Pharisee, Do you see this woman? The Pharisee thought in the beginning that Jesus didn't see her. He was thinking in his mind, if this man were a prophet, this woman who's touching him, he goes through this whole machinations in his, he's thinking to himself about what Jesus is missing. But what Jesus tells him is, no, you're missing who she is. You're judging her by appearance. You're not seeing her heart. This notorious sinner was more gracious, repentant, and devoted to the Lord than a well-respected, self-righteous religious leader. How do we view people? I mean, I was taught as a kid, right? We're taught from little kids, don't judge people by appearances, right? Do we try to understand them? And again, I go back to the beginning when, and I've been in churches for almost, well, actually, even when I was a kid, I wasn't saved, but my parents, my parents were amazing. They would drop me off at the church and drive away, me and my sister. Then they'd come back in an hour to get me. Well, you're not really placing a lot of value on church, but you want me and my sister. What's what's that all about? Ah, let them get some church in there. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, me and my sister were mischievous, but I'll just leave that for another time. So, people don't want to come to church and be judged like the Pharisee judged people. They don't. They want to be accepted. They want to be shown grace, and they want to come to the Lord and grow in their own timing, not to be forced or pressured. I've seen uh, even attractive people, right? That some, and again, I've been to multiple churches, that right away there's some in the church that are picking them apart. They didn't dress a certain way. They didn't wear a certain thing. You know, where's the dress code in this place? person might have maybe they're an atheist maybe they're they want to see what's this all about and we judge them and they're not going to come back so we have to be careful that i'm going to leave you with one quick account and then i'm going to move to just that last section is so i'm going to speak in generalities for a reason and let's just say that this person doesn't go to our church so i'm going to speak it could be a year ago could be 10 years ago could be last week i had the occasion for somebody to be with me and for at least two days, the person where I went, this person went. And I just love to talk to strangers. I love to witness to people, tell people about God and Jesus and stuff. So I, I love evangelism. So this person's kind of my wingman, and he's kind of observing. Uh, I just did it naturally, right? We went to different places. And uh, it so happened, and I didn't plan this, that everyone I spoke to had multiple tattoos and piercings. So... A few days goes by, and he comes to me. It's almost like he was confessing to God, but out loud. He just saw the way I handle people. I treat everybody the same. as just who I am. I don't care what you look like. He actually said to me, now, gr- growing up pretty straight-laced, um, he said to me, I, I, I got to say this. I'm like, what? <laughs> he goes, after kind of watching what's been going on the last few days, he goes, I think I judge people with piercings and tattoos. He goes, and I have to stop. Isn't that beautiful about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, I didn't have to tell him that. I didn't even know he was looking at them funny or whatever. The Holy Spirit told this man, you have to change your heart. 
Now, people do this. They may do it with race or cultures or, um, I don't know, deformity. And that's even really cruel because some things that people can't change. Judging is just a terrible thing. It really is. Um, but I was blessed because, like, I didn't even have to put any input. I just said, yeah, well, yeah, God told you that. He's right. <laughs> so um, God didn't say it. I would have said it, you know. Uh, but it's, it, it's listen, I, I just have to delve a little bit into the culture. You know, you're, you all see this on the news. You've seen it infecting a lot of our institutions where Jesus is, the Prince of Peace is being pushed out of American culture and Western culture. And this wokeism, which is really hard to define, is being ushered in. With wokeism, if you do something wrong, you're an instantly a pariah. You lose your job, you lose your friends, you lose everything. It's dogpile on the rabbit, attack. And you know what's funny? Some of these virtue-signaling famous woke people, they get caught on a hot mic or saying something they shouldn't say. And then they get it. It's a feeding frenzy. It's like piranha. Christianity is a better way because it takes a person who's thinking the wrong things and doing the wrong things and the Holy Spirit changes them to be a better person and to look back and say, I used to do those. I used to judge people. But the Lord has changed my heart. And folks, we have a better alternative than the stuff that's being crammed down our throat in American culture because it's, it's ineffective. And everyone's walking on eggshells. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to say it. They don't know how to virtue signal. If you virtual signal enough, then you, know, you get these points. It's weird. Christianity is a better way because it changes the heart. Amen? Okay, last few verses. Verse 47. He says, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Four out of four is grace leading to salvation. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, the clarion call to salvation, right? Through grace. She comes to see Jesus, shows her appreciation. She's shown more grace so maybe she sees him and hears him preaching, but never gets to go get close to him. Now she's up close and personal. She's touching his feet, and he's not pushing her away. And he says these beautiful things to minister to this woman. And then, basically, she apparently gets saved because Jesus tells us that. So let's unpack this a little bit. Verse 49, who is this who can forgive sins? And if you don't see Jesus as God you're purposely trying not to see Jesus as God. This is all throughout the Gospels, all throughout the Old and the New Testament. So two things he does. Number one, he reads Simon's mind so perfectly that he's able to use this parable and draw Simon in so that he can change his behavior and his thought processes. And he forgives the woman's sins. These are two things that only God can do. Now let's go into what he said. Verse 50, go in peace. When you look into the Greek language structure, the grammatical structure, this can also, it's more powerful. It can be translated, he's saying to her, go into peace. Wow. Go into peace. This isn't a cliche, oh, feel good about yourself, you know, um, think happy thoughts. Jesus is saying, go into peace. And this is the peace that only Jesus can provide. Go into peace. Romans 5, let's start with the most important spiritually. Romans 5 says that the human race is at enmity with God because of sin. 
It's at war with God. Doesn't realize it. However, through Christ, there's ceasefire. There's fellowship. There's prior combatants are now father and children. So, number one, through Jesus, spiritually, that's it. How do I get to heaven? You're there, lady. It's, it's a done deal. Well, what do I have to... It's, it's all good. It's not a complex board game of religion. Two is the emotional level of peace. Listen, that's some things that maybe someone who's watching or in this room needs to hear today. That emotional level of peace. When you have that peace spiritually, and God, is, He's got His hand out as a Father to us. Well, our emotions will start to change too. You mean I'm really loved? Like if every human being hated me today, God still loves me? Absolutely. He even loves the person who's at enmity against him, wants him, wants that person to come into that fellowship. The world is full of fear. Our country is full of fear. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love that only God can provide casts out all fear because fear involves what? Torment. Torment. Fear involves torment. And for those that don't want to, and you can see this in behaviorism, is that those who are full of fear don't want to be vulnerable, so they cover that with anger and rage. Why is that person so angry? They're covering something. They're trying to keep themselves from all the cracks being exposed. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. But you are made perfect in that love through Christ. This is a real thing. I find sometimes, and and I've been a Christian for almost 30 years, but I find that sometimes when the economy is good and everything's great, it's so hard to reach people. And listen, I don't want to see anybody suffer, but now it's, man, every time you turn on the TV... Every time you check your bank account, every time you go to the grocery store, every time you fill your car, it's everywhere. We're getting bombarded. Your air conditioning bill, your heating bill. Leave that. Come to, come to the Lord's kingdom, which He's preparing, that we all can be a part of. He wants us to experience that peace, that love that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense. Well, how, how are you not completely losing your mind? Let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> it doesn't mean we don't stumble. We talked about this last Sunday. But it does mean that, you know, we put everything in perspective. It doesn't mean we don't have our bad days. Verse 48, he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Now, what does that mean? This lady was, uh, I don't know, whatever. Pickpocket, thief, prostitute, whatever she was. How did her faith save her? Let me take you to Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. So we talked about externally what the salvation looked like. We went through the stages of this woman's life, right? And Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. Go go into peace. So she, she gets saved. She's in a good place. No doubt she most likely changes her life and now starts to rely on God instead of doing what she was doing. So externally you could see, and you can see it in a person's life, right? person becomes a Christian, five years later you say, you know what, they definitely were different than five years ago when they received Christ. So externally you can see the difference. This is what happens internally. I love this. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. Wait a minute. 
It was her faith. It was of her. No, it wasn't. Let me finish. Don't interrupt. Uh, I'm just kidding. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So, by grace you have been saved through faith. What does that mean? If I could do my own parable, it's probably very weak. So if there was a cloud of grace and salvation in there and everything that Jesus did and, and you're down here and you can't get to that cloud, faith is the vehicle. When you believe and trust in Christ and what He did on the cross for your sins, it's almost like your faith is this invisible thing that touches that cloud of grace and it's like a shoot. And all of a sudden it comes pouring down and it cascades all over you. That's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> so... But it's, it's neat and it's fun and it's enjoyable and I love to try to convince people there's a better way. You don't have to go to our church. Maybe you live an hour away. You find a good church by you. But Jesus, He, he loves you. He died for your sins. By grace, you have been saved through the vehicle of faith. It is the gift of God. It's not of ourselves. So she believed. She doesn't get any credit for it, but she believed, and it's God that did all the heavy lifting. Neat stuff. So Jesus knew that she had a heart change. She turned from her self-directed life to God, which is really repentance. It's not a scary word. She trusted in Jesus as her Lord and Savior, and I'll just leave you with this. God acts first, and then we respond. The Bible tells us that when the world was full of sinners and an enmity, enmity against Him, He made the first action. He took the first step to bring us towards Him. He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. God acts first, and then we respond. So, I'm, I'm fine with saying I didn't do anything. He did it all on the cross. I just believed. This woman didn't say anything we're aware of. We don't know her name, but she made an incredible impact on Christianity. Enough so that he uses her as this example of grace to gratefulness to saving faith. Salvation is not complicated. It's not of clever speech. The woman didn't say a word. It was what's inside. First of all, Jesus saw what was inside. She covered this life with dysfunction. Her life was probably a mess every day she got up. She probably wasn't happy. But it was what was inside. She was drawn to Jesus. And He did the rest. I get my question to you this morning is, do you identify more with the sinful woman or the well-respected religious leader? I'm hoping the woman. Because can I be honest with you? I should have never got saved. You know? When I think about how my wife and I, who was my girlfriend at the time, came to Christ... It just it was just so powerful. You know, we, we I had my life, I had my plans, I had my thoughts. It was all Joe's world. Self centered, stingy, oh my goodness. If I could I I won't go too far, but it, it just was going to a church and, and hearing the preacher, genuine person that he is, preach the word of God and uh, it started to change. I actually fought it. I'm like, you know, I'm I don't want to be vulnerable, I'm tough. I put up a, a force field and, and he just kept reaching into my heart, reaching into my heart, reaching into my heart. And then I just was like, why am I running from him? Why am I fighting this? What the heck is wrong with me? You know? So I still, 
20 years later as the senior pastor in this position, in this pulpit, in this elevation, some people look at me and have the wrong impression of who I am. I'm no different than this woman. I did nothing to earn my salvation. My good works don't mean anything. Jesus did it all. And I still, after being saved close to 27, 28 years, I still give Him all the credit. And it keeps me in a good place. Amen? been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.